Joining me today is Catherine Budig. She's back for another episode. And today we're just going to talk about where we are in our lives, things that we're noticing about what's going on with the current situation in the world and what we're excited about. Thank you for joining me, Catherine. Glad we worked out the tech and welcome. I know. Oh, <laughs> technology. It's taking, was this all the plan just so technology could officially take over every aspect of our lives? <laughs> well, you know, if you're asking the wrong person, I have worked off and on in technology since the early 80s. So I'm sort of a techie girl geek at heart. But the so thing you can I be try- my phone a friend at any time I have a technical problem. Okay. Yes, you can. <laughs> um, you know, my thing is, is that people tend to think of it that it works like your car. It doesn't work like your car unfortunately. And technology is fabulous when it works, but the more things that you plug in, the more apps and things that layer over the top, that when somebody updates something and the rest of them don't update, then it breaks the whole chain. Mm -hmm. And then if they, if there's some, and there's a lot of people at home with nothing else better to do than to fucking hack into people's shit. And that's- Right. I've heard that on Zoom, there's been a lot of um, genitalia being drawn on screens. And if we're lucky, maybe someone will come in and and paint some pictures for us during our podcast. here's, Here's what I had to tell you is that before all of this started, I've used Zoom quite a bit. And there were times, I mean, I've had naked men walk into the room that like, have come into a meeting who were not supposed to be in the meeting and then just walk around naked. It's like, you can't unsee that. It's like, dude, personal grooming, please go away. Wow. And then I've I've seen some other things, but I know that recently Zoom was, they were hit up by the Manhattan district attorney about their holes in their security. So they have in the last two weeks, they have furiously put out all sorts of updates, excuse me, and changes to their security functions. So it is much, much better than it ever has been. And they, so (laughs) the funny thing was, is they did about three weeks ago, they did a Zoom call with the guy who's like the CEO of Zoom and he's Asian and he's talking about the fact that now that they've cut off all contact with China. (laughs) I just found it so ironic that, and China was a part the the leaky holes that they had with people coming in to hack in. So I just found that very, very um, ironic. (laughs) China is sort of the thorn in everyone's foot right now these days, aren't they? I mean, I just... I mean, so many thorns right now, honestly. My daughter gives me shit. (laughs) Well, and my daughter gives me shit. She's like, Mom, it's not just the Chinese fault. It's like, well, where did the virus come from? China. True, but who knows? I mean, that's this yeah. is where all the conspiracy theories can come yes, in. And, yes, and yes. how is it dealt with and, you know, our government and the people and everything. And I'm just at the point right now where I want to be a good citizen. I am happy to be on lockdown for another month if it means we can totally squash this and then go back to normal living. I, my bigger is going back into normal living too soon because we all, you know, some of us are blessed to only have cabin fever. Some of us need to get paid, need to eat, need to support right. the family. Right. That I completely understand how horrible that is. It's hard. You know, we live in Charleston, South Carolina, and our area has not been hit hard at all. And it's the same thing the kind of, of a pandemic, right, where you're not on the front lines, you don't get to see it firsthand. So it's easy for people to believe that it's not real. And, well, um, unfortunately, the, the interesting thing is, is that so many people have had their head 
jammed in the sand for so long. And, you yeah. know, I'm a 35 minute ferry ride out of downtown Seattle and Seattle was the hotbed, right? right? Yeah, we had all, women, of right? the people, yeah, all the people dying in the nursing homes and everything. But a New Yorker article just came out and a guy did a survey between Seattle or Washington mm-hmm. and New York mm-hmm. City and what the difference was because they kind of hit at the same time and how Seattle was having one death per 14,000 people and New York was like, I don't know, four or five, six times that. Oh God, and yeah, New York is the worst. Well, and our governor, who is from the island where I live, he decided to reach out to the scientists and to have the scientists talk and dictate policy. And New York City, they said they politicized it. And so Washington State followed the original CDC ruling for epidemics, and New York City did not. And then Mm -hmm. the administration, the CDC had been following it as well. And once the administration took over, they threw that out the window and you can see what's happened. So, you know, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> and here we are. So you look. But it's okay because I have top, I have my Tide Pods, so you know, <laughs> I'm going to be fine. <laughs> I've got my bleach syringe over in the kitchen, just waiting to go. Oh, <laughs> Never and, be love unattended. <laughs> uh, well, and it's just, it's just wild to me. And you know, my thing is is that. I am an immunocompromised person, but I really haven't had any fear. I suspect I already had this in in late December and early January, um, that there are people you're listening to. I'm listening now to doctors who have worked in ERs and hospitals with viruses, with bacteria that are coming out and saying the numbers don't add up. Mm -hmm. We have people with ER rooms that are empty and nobody's yeah. coming in. And I know that certain clinics around here, because the curve is flattened so much, they're going to start seeing people and hospitals are going to start doing non-essential procedures. There's a lot of things coming out of this whole thing with people saying, yes, there are people dying in highly concentrated contact urban areas like New York City. Unfortunately, you have a higher percentage of people catching this and becoming seriously ill and dying. But for the most part, there's a lot of people out there that may have one already had it or two. So this one doctor was like 90% of people get over it quickly or get over it without any severe consequences. And he said, you know, the main thing is, is you need to eat well, you need to get good sleep, you need to exercise, you need to do all of the things to take care of your immune system, which lives in your gut, and you will find that you deal with this much better. And so it's just interesting. I'm just very curious to hear all of these doctors come out and talk about the things that they're seeing and the hysteria that the media has created on certain levels and the place of fear that everybody's come from. I walk around and I don't wear a mask much anymore. And my thing is, is when I see people looking over their masks or looking when they're walking or somebody working behind a cash register or whatever it is, is that everyone looks at everyone else with fear. Mm. We've lost that connection of loving our neighbor, of looking at each other as a part of the same community. And my mother put it so succinctly. She said, you know, during the depression, the only reason anybody survived was because they took care of each other. And my mother lived through the polio epidemic. My grandma had polio. My mom was four. They put their whole entire house on quarantine for five months because they had no idea how it spread, how long the incubation period was, none of that. And so That's the lens that she's looking. She thinks the polio epidemic is actually worse than this, believe it or not. It's a very interesting, you know, it's everybody has a different perspective to look at this. 
but I walk around and I see everybody in fear and it's like, that's the wrong space we need to be. Yes, we need to be cautious. Yes, we need to watch out for each other. But I feel like we've turned into this thing where it's all about fear. And I don't know how often you guys are out. I know you're out walking the dogs and do you guys go out and do your shopping? Oh yeah, we, we, we still go to the grocery store. We do wear masks when we go to the grocery store. We don't wear masks when we walk our dogs. I, I, I felt less fear as I have more projections of judgment. And that might be because we live in the South and I feel like wearing a mask in the South is a political statement to some people. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, you know, I mean, Charleston is a, a blue city, but it's got a lot of old conservative wealth too. Yeah. And it, it's been interesting. I have an 80 old, 80 year old father who has, you know, he's in the third, one of the final stages of liver cancer. And so I've been, you know, wildly paranoid about anything getting close to him because I, th- I feel like one sneeze would finish it for him. And my mother is 77, you know, they're, it's, they're in that, and I mean, I feel like it would take a bulldozer to take her down, but still. <laughs> I would so, say you that. Know, the, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so the wearing the masks for us is just, you know, we do tune into the news. In the beginning, we were watching it religiously. And now, I don't know, I, th- I think we probably tune into news for like 20 minutes a day, just because anything more than that feels completely unnecessary. And like you said, can can be a bit over the top. But you know, if the CDC still thinks that, you know, you should be wearing a mask while you go out, for me, it's less about fear. And it's more about respect. And like, if I put on a mask, and that means that, you know, because I don't know, I could be an asymptomatic carrier. I have no idea if that's the one thing that I can do to like go out during this time to make sure that I'm respecting someone who is susceptible to getting this disease who could potentially die, then like, sure, I'll put on a freaking mask that doesn't bother me. But in our neighborhood, I mean, you see family, we live in a very family oriented neighborhood and you see like kids on their bikes and parents walking their dogs and everything, you know, like five o'clock, everybody's out. And yeah, they social distance. We don't, I haven't felt the fear in our neighborhood. That's like I said, awesome. it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's been really good. And I, I'm sure it's a completely different sentiment in, you know, Philadelphia or New York City or, right. or yeah. New Orleans or Detroit, like the cities who have just been slammed by this. Yeah. But I, I do think that education is important, not, not to the extent of just, you know, sucking on the exhaust pipe of the news channel, but, you right. know, getting enough information and listening to the doctors and listening to the researchers, then making an educated choice from there. Well, and the doctors are on the front line. And so I trust what they have to say because they're watching this Mm -hmm. and seeing this happen. And, you know, and I've heard about doctors and nurses who have been forced to sign NDAs if they want to keep their jobs and the hospital administrators not allowing them to talk about what's going on inside of the hospital. And so, you know, that to me is like, you know, I'm sorry. Hmm. That's really not very transparent about being able to keep people in a space where you don't have everybody going around in constant adrenal fatigue because they're so worried about everything that's going on. And I have a father who's 80, he'll be 84 in August, who has diabetes, a heart can problem, and, and you know, on all kinds of medications. And so I worry about him. The only time I get to see him is through the window as we wave from outside. My mother's 81, you know, and my mother's 81. And she, re- she says to me, I'm going to die in this house if they don't let me out. So this is her thing. Her reference is she was locked in the house with her grandmother for five months. And I don't think it was a good situation. So 
that's her frame of reference. And I think about things like that. And I think, you know, my brothers even said, listen, mom, you may be okay with if something happens, you pass away and that's fine. I'm not okay with that. And if something happens to you, dad has to go into a nursing home because none of us can take care of him. Is that what you want to have happen? So, you know, it's really hard because you're dealing with your parents who have lived their own lives for so many years. And now all of a sudden you're presented with a situation where sometimes you have to be the adult. And I I am always in that situation with my parents. (laughs) (laughs) I feel very distressed by that. Not because it's broken that whole thought of my parents always knew everything and my dad could always do everything. I mean, I've come to the realization a while ago that, you know, my my parents are aging. That's, that's just what it is. But, you know, to have to try and tell someone they can't drive anymore or they can't do the things that they love to do that keep them whole and happy is, is incredibly hard, really hard. I'm sure you've, you've, but run into that as well. Oh God. I mean, when we had to take the car keys away from my dad, he went screaming and, but I mean, he was going to kill someone or himself or both. I mean, there was no way he could be behind the wheel anymore. And in theory, he understood that, but I mean, it's, it's, it's about pride. I mean, it's about being a human and the perks that comes along with being a human and the unfortunate cycle of life that is the crone that is the ends that that like maybe you're blessed to like go into a place where you just absorb wisdom and you're comfortable in that place and you can strip yourself of like you know the earthly privileges and delights that we're given but i mean well that that is some spiritual enlightened being level to be okay with all of that well and you know i know that my folks don't necessarily have the emotional intelligence that a lot of people have. I mean, my daughter has more emotional intelligence than I do. She's smarter about a whole lot more things than I am. She's a psychologist, so that explains some of it. But just think about the fact that they've been autonomous for so many years in their life that to then have to admit that you can no longer do some of those things, that's a really tough pill to yeah. swallow and to be able to still have quality of life while you're still making sure that you're being careful with how your actions affect other people. And boy, it's so delicate. It's so delicate. So what are you, what are you, I mean, I know you started the Inky Phoenix, which I love and oh, thank you. as a way to, you know, cause you, I know you're a huge book reader and a writer and it's such a great way to engage people online in something that is really low tech actually right when you're reading a book Absolutely. that's low tech as long as yeah. you're reading it as a paper book and not on a, a reader or something but what is it that you are doing that you and Kate are doing to keep yourselves feeling engaged and I guess hopeful well the the online book club has been massive for me and funny enough I didn't start that I started it I want to say maybe five days before all this quarantine hit. So did not see this coming at all. <laughs> the, the, the convenience of the timing to have an outlet like this. You know, I just, people have been asking me for a long time to start a book club and I had no idea how one, you know, the whole point behind the book club is getting people together in person and, right. and discussing and socializing. I was like, well, how, how are we going to do that platform? And just like, screw it. I'm going to start this and kind of figure it out as I go. And, and I also really wanted to provide a, a space on social media that was safe for people, you know, a page that they know they can go to and not be triggered by it. 
and that they can go and feel community and feel inspired and educated and uh, you know the, the power of a of a book you yes. know i've i've always noticed that when i am in the middle of a story i am happiest like if i know i have a book waiting for me at home and a story that i can't wait to get back into that's when i'm at my best and that's something i wanted to offer for these readers so that's been a huge solace i've i think i've read about I'm up to like 17 books that I've read in 2020 Holy so far. Shit. That's a lot of books. Yeah. Well, quarantine <laughs> definitely allowed me to dive into it. And now, you know, I'm trying to get ahead of the curve and I'm, I'm having publishers send me books that are galleys of books that are about to come out because I'm trying to find that new title right. for each month thing exciting for people. So it's been great. I mean, that's been a wonderful thing to get my mind off of things. Um, and another thing that, Kate and I have noticed with all this quarantining, and, and I'm sure anyone who has Instagram, when you turn on your Instagram, you know, maybe once upon a time you'd see one person going live, and now oh you open God. up your Instagram feed and it's this huge thread. <laughs> and it's, and part of me is like, oh, how cool, you know? I mean, it's like what you were talking about the, the necessity and the importance of human connection and community and interacting. But it's also been fascinating to watch the need to be relevant and, mm. and the inability for people to sit in their silence to sit in their body without other people acknowledging or giving accolades or watching them and that has just been mind-blowing to me because i'm even though i have my outward facing personality when i'm teaching or speaking or whatever is going on and i'm fine to slip into that like I'm very okay with being at home and I'm very okay with being quiet. I'm very okay with not having eyeballs on me. And <laughs> for any, if anything, I'm like, Oh God, I get a break. You know, I can kind of, well, I was going to ask you about that too, because you were so much more out in the world in front of so many people. And as the last time we talked, you were not traveling as much for one thing, mm -hmm. you were being a lot more selective with where you went and what you were doing. And so that I, it's like you almost kind of hit that wall where you, you give and you give and you give and you have, like you said, you have this external persona that you have when you go out into the public. And then it's like you need to go home to recharge all those batteries to, to pull back in. And so I was just wondering how, I mean, do you feel like your batteries are juiced back up or do you feel like some of this is still keeping a little anxiety that maybe is is kind of affecting some of that. I mean, I would, you know, give my left foot to go sit at a bar and have people around me <laughs> right now. <laughs> Honestly, like the simple things. Yes. Um, I, I, I miss the world. I miss travel. I miss, I miss things that, you know, we just took for granted. <laughs> and The little things. But I've noticed, like, I miss the things not for my ego. I miss the things for me. Like I yes. want to get out in the world because I want to experience it. I don't want to get out in the world so I can sit in front of a group of people and have them love me. Like I don't, I don't feel the need to fill that tank as much. I really feel like I've moved into a chapter of my life where I'm not saying I don't want to help take care of people. I do think that's part of my mission, but you know, I've been moving my mission slowly from offering yoga in person to offering more of it through glow, the, the platform that I teach on online. And and starting to move, like I just finished my novel over Christmas and it just went out on submission a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and, you know, how like exciting. I want, 
Yes, exciting and just so painful. <laughs> so painful just sitting here waiting for people to potentially reject it. You know, it's just like, ugh. But, you know, it, it's just like finding your vessel for what fills you up. And, right. and I do love giving to people, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to, like, put on my tap shoes and it right. be a spotlight anymore and and I realize that that really feeds some people but I I just I feel like it's more of an addiction than something that actually feeds people and then you get the juxtaposition of this ultra high and the ultra lows and you know we were looking at Halsey the musician for example and she's very she's one of our favorite singers I love Halsey and she's very outspoken and um, transparent about her struggles with mental health and her insecurities and you know she just released this epic record. You know, I think it already went platinum or whatever artists do that's really good. And she was doing her world tour in front of thousands of people. And then the quarantine hit. And even watching the posts that she puts up on her Instagram right now, it's normally the kind of, po- you know, she's like scantily clad. And like, it's, it's a lot of like very needy kind of posts where if I didn't know her backstory, I'd be like, wow, that chick needs a lot of attention. But because I, know, I mean, she openly talks about it, like, I should be living the dream, but I go home and I don't have any self-esteem. And what it's like when you're, you, you need people's praise because that's what lifts you up. And it's, you know, I worry about people's mental health is a long-winded way of what I'm trying to say right well, now. And, that, the, the crying for help. and don't you think that mental health has really come into the forefront a lot more now as a result of all this? Yes. I mean, people talking about anxiety and all of this. And, and I look at things like, you know, I mean, I've followed you for so long and I never saw it as, as an ego space for you teaching. I always saw it as a, as a desire to serve. You wanted to serve. You wanted to share yoga because you know the value of what it can bring to someone's life. So I look at things like that and I think about the fact that, that you share so much of just your everyday life. In, in snippets, small snippets, for people is that you're, you're so much more human than so many other people that I can find on social media, that mm. you just brought this sense of humanness to it all, the quirky sides, the, the funny sides, the things that are important to you that are sort of a multifaceted piece. And maybe not many people pay that much attention to it, but I certainly do. And so I think about, and that's kind of what I look for when I'm looking at people is like, how transparent are they? How are how willing are they to be honest with the fact that you know they look like shit when they wake up in the morning? <laughs> All right. What? I never look like shit when I wake up. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, I just I, it's interesting to see, like you said, I see the wild dichotomy between the people that are tap dancing, looking for that see me, see me, see me, yeah. um, you know, give me, give me, give me, give me, and then I see the other people that are just like, you know, this sucks. I have good days, I have bad days. Some days I look like shit. Other days I'm feeling pretty good. I'm you know, paint my toenails, even though I got nowhere to go kind of thing. Yeah. It, it's just, it's very interesting to see all of that play. I'm, I'm so curious about people anyway, but to see that play out in social media has just been really, really interesting. And I'm sure, yeah. I mean, you guys probably notice it like when you go out for your walks, because I'm assuming you have to walk the dogs a couple of times a day at least. Oh. God, our dogs are so buff now. <laughs> I mean, they, we walk them miles and miles and miles. <laughs> the poor 
<laughs> they're both, you know, Ashi's 14, and she's like, what the hell? <laughs> Are you making me do this again, Mom? Yeah, she's hiding from us. Yeah, you know, the I think... Obviously, and I know this word is getting thrown around a lot, but these are completely unprecedented times and there's no rule book to follow for how to take care of yourself during a pandemic. You know, so the normal, like you should work out every day. I mean, we have been doing some kind of workout every day, not for aesthetic reasons, not for egotistical reasons, but just like the sheer simplicity of if we don't move our bodies every day, I, I can just feel myself moving into that place of sadness and moving into that place because it, you know, there's a lot of very, you know, if you, you're a very empathetic person, like you, I just I feel like you can feel the weight right now. You the can heaviness. feel all the stress of the world and the heaviness and, and just being able to like move your body and shake it out. And we've been eating way more comforting foods and way yeah. more carby foods. Yeah. Normally we'd be like, oh, we should balance it out with some of our healthier stuff. But it's like, you know what, like we should do whatever brings us joy in these moments. And, and I think because we can't go see our friends and we can't go travel and we can't go to our restaurants and, and do all the things that would normally bring us life. So doing a little class or just shake it out, you know, I mean, the reason why I wanted to push this call is because I fell behind schedule and I wanted to get my, my class in before I talked with you. And I was like skimming through trying to find a class that was going to fit so I could still get on this phone call. In time. But you know, I, that's I, how important it is to me right now. I love you for doing that. And, and the thing for me is that if you don't burn through that energy, it, I just feel like it collects in your body and just is, makes you, you don't sleep, you don't think right. And your brain isn't working very well right now anyway, because we're all dealing with this whole thing of this is not real life. And mm-hmm. how do I process and the days don't seem, I mean, I, I forget what day it is or what time it is or. I, it feels like life is just being vacuumed out of us right now. It's just, and every time we, and we love getting into bed because that's when we read our books. And so yeah. you know, it's nice to know, okay, like now we get to read our books, but there's also, we just look at each other when we climb into bed every night and we're like, what the fuck? Here we are <laughs> again. What and tomorrow we're going to wake up again and do this all over. You know, it's, it's wild. And we are, you know, we're, we're we're getting work done. We're doing stuff. We're spending quality time with the dogs, eating amazing food. We're both writing and reading and this. And but man, I mean, it's just, (laughs) I I don't. I mean, it it truly is Groundhog Day. Every freaking day. Yeah. You know, I mean, I feel Bill Murray's pain and I keep waking up going, okay, what do I need to learn about myself today so that when I get to go back out into the world of people again, that I'm, I'm a better me. Yeah. I do think that there will be a period where people will have deeper appreciation for the things, the normality, normalities that we once took for granted, for sure. But because we're human, I do think it'll go away quickly. You know, because yeah, I, I, I just, too. you know, I, I think people will appreciate it and then they'll go back into the way that they were living before. I mean, it might, I bet I'm hoping there will be a period of deep appreciation. It may be a period of slowing you know, maybe a period of um, not needing to commit to as much workload in a, a day yeah. as people did before. Just because I think that's going to be a harsh reality to go from the way we're living to just bam, back into how some of us were hustling before. Well, and it's interesting because I can still <clears throat> go into the club and use my computer. And I'm really the only one. There's maybe one or two other people that still go. And it's so weird to go into the health club and have it be so quiet. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a place that even when there's no people there, there's always that hum of energy, right? The treadmills are plugged in or, 
you know what? And so everything is shut off. And so I walk in there and go, it's kind of scary in here. And for the longest time, I was thinking that someone was trying to break into the front door. And I realized that it's an old building and it's settling and making noises that we can't hear because there's so much shit going on all the time. Ah, That's so funny. So the, the woman who runs the group fitness part of the health club, we, we, she would come in her office and I would be in mine and we, we could leave the doors open, actually talk to each other and hear each other. Right. So we could be physically distant, but still have a conversation. She goes, I know this is really dumb to say, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't have, to have people coming in to run on the treadmills and making all that noise and we could keep our yes. eyes open and talk to each other. Permanently. Well, and you know, it was so funny because I managed to get all of our personal trainers up using Zoom. We've got group fitness classes up using Zoom. We've got a lot of our members that have stuck with us through all of this and didn't realize that we were like in 1% in the country of gyms that have been able to successfully do that and still earn an income coming in. And in fact, wow. some of my some of my personal trainers are like, gosh, Sherry, we wish you would have done this sooner because now I've got clients that have moved away who are like, well, now that you're doing this, can we work out with you again too? And I'm like, awesome. Aww. I love that kind of stuff. So there's been some things. And for me, it's like, how do we blend all of this into a new way to do business, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone else is, I know there's a lot of people that are hurting and they don't have jobs and their businesses are closed and what are they going to do? But I'm also thinking it's like, if you can move past that and think about, okay, where do I need to shift, change, look at something new outside of the box to maybe make my business more resilient or create something new so that I can move forward? And just all the places where you can cut the fat. I mean, I think it goes to show how much stuff you don't have to do in person. Correct. Like trips that do not need to happen. Airplanes that you don't have to get on to go to meetings that could happen in this format. And I mean, even from an eco-friendly standpoint, like think of, you know, there, there are so many improvements to businesses that can be made. And not to mention, hopefully, businesses that now are reworking themselves in a digital format. Uh, they don't you know, have just, to have bricks and mortar with 800,000 freaking yeah. people sitting in cubicles in an office. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I know a lot so, of friends who are going to be, who have brick and mortars who are rethinking that structure because yeah, of this. I, there's just, there's so much good that I think would come out of it. And I just noticed, like, the pollution levels dropping. Uh, I know. I, I know. Like, I, I feel like I hear more birds singing. I definitely yes. feel like there's... And the sky is yeah, Yes. Yeah. Well, so here's an interest. I did a uh, conversation on Sunday with a yoga teacher in Namibia. And so I asked her, I said, so, you know, kind of tell me what's going on with you and this whole thing in Namibia. And she goes, well, you know, Sherry, Africa is a third world country. And she said, there are people here who are already living below the poverty level. And she said, we don't have very many cases. And she said, people are not dying of COVID here. They're dying of starvation. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, that's a really interesting perspective because we don't always see poverty up close in this country unless we live in it or near it. It's not really talked about. And the higher instances of people dying from COVID because they live in poverty is something that 
people are starting to talk about more. But it was so interesting to hear her talk about it. And she said, you know, the game, the big game preserves that are normally filled with trucks and people. She said, there's lions laying in the middle of the road. She said, the animals are coming out and taking over the whole entire park because there's nobody there. And she said, the animals in the earth are just going to continue to do what they do and actually get better because humans are not out there screwing everything up. And I was like, well, that's a very true statement. Yeah, I just hope we don't come back in hot and then just well, yeah. completely <laughs> burn down all of that progress that's been made is my fear. You know, I just... Well, I, you, I, know, I would, mm. you think about LA and how, you know, high in the freaking pollution scheme they were and how now they're like the lowest polluted area of the country. What? I, I did yes. not hear that. Yes. Really? Yes. Well, there's nobody driving on all those freaking highways and freeways. And crazy. Shit. As someone who used to be an Angelino, I'm like, wow. I know. And if you think about, you know, it's, it's the coast, so they've got the, the winds coming off the coast and just how much that has cleaned out that city because there's not pollution going on. I mean, anybody who pays attention to, you know, things that are green and air pollution and all of that has to be looking at this going, what are we going to do with this? How can we maximize this to make it so that we don't end up back where we were or worse where we than where we were? And you've got to believe that those people are out there taking those notes, oh, making those yeah. and ready to apply them. Yeah. I, well, I'm hoping even, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've been following how Purdue is about to euthanize 2 million chickens because they don't have the manpower to process yeah. them yeah. anymore. And even that, you know, we're Kate and I are vegetarians, and it's just like, oh my god, two million birds that are going to be euthanized. Well, here's the deal: like, the food, the food chain is going to be the food chain. I mean, even they're even talking about farmers that are destroying crops in the field because they don't have anybody to harvest them. Harvest. They don't have any yeah. way to move them. We've got food cool. banks that are dying to get a hold of this food, are willing to pay for it, but they can't yeah. get it. And so some of these farmers are working directly with the food banks to come up with their own supply chain to bypass everything because there's nothing in place either locally or federally to help deal with the situation. And it's like, look at all of the waste that's happening and there are people who are starving and you're destroying stuff in the field or in your pens or whatever it is that you do as a farmer. It's like, what is wrong with this picture? There, there's something it's- wrong here heartbreaking it's it absolutely is. heartbreaking and i don't know what the solution is but i'm hoping like I don't you said either. with you know the with eco-friendly approaches i'm hoping with animals too and like just how the farming and factory farming is done i'm like god i hope this somehow can like cut it down a little bit you like well you know back. a lot of that comes from the lobbyists and the amount of money that's in factory farming and all of that uh, you know i so it's like, never going to change well <laughs> You, you know, it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I, I tr- I'm trying to look at this from a perspective of I want to be hopeful. I want to I want to think yeah. about people that there are smarter people out there that are going to come forward and be able to lead the way because people are going to be more willing to listen. That there are small farms, whether it's whether they have animals or whether they have vegetables or whatever it is that people have now really looked at let's work with our local farmers and continue that practice moving forward rather than just walking into the grocery store and buying whatever it is. Now, I live in an area where that's very important to most of the people that live here. And 
they, that, I mean, we even sell local produce in my local market across the street from me. So I can walk into my market and it makes a huge difference when these, the grocery stores actually make, make that a priority is to sell Mm -hmm. local produce. Right. Right. Instead of shipping things in from Peru, you know, like, or we have all these farms 30 minutes outside of the city that, you know, it's, I mean, obviously if you want your grapes, you got to go to Peru, whatever, but it's, <laughs> I, I know we, we just drove to a local farm yesterday to pick up a dozen eggs and got some greens that they cut for us right out of the ground. And our eggs are blue and speckled and brown and, yes. and glorious, glorious, happy chickies that just came from down the block. And and it just feels so good to eat that way. And it feels so good to support, like to actually like hand it off from the people who are growing it is the, the, the best feeling. In the world. Well, you know, and that's my thing is I'd much rather take my cash and give it to somebody who lives in my community, right? Absolutely. Who, who, who is doing good things and not, and I have become so anti-chemical just because of my own health that it's like anybody who is doing anything that's organic, that's natural, that's working with the environment, that cares about the watershed, that cares about the air that we breathe, all of those things, you know what? You're going to get my cash before anybody else is because I just feel that that's the only way that we can actually make a change. I don't know. Do you guys live near an airport where you are? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're about uh, like a 20 minute drive from the airport. Yeah. So the funny thing to me is noticing how few planes there are in the air anymore mm. and how i mean it's so it's quiet where i live anywhere but there are you know we're in the the flight pattern and you know if there's a plane that goes by once a day or so it's like oh my god there's an airplane instead of before you just never even really thought about it tell me what you're excited about what do you got on your plate or what are you looking forward to or i'm very excited for my literary agent to call me and say someone <laughs> wants to buy my book <laughs> that is what I am very excited about. Every time my phone rings, which by the way is never, um, <laughs> you know, I'm just like desperately scanning to see if it's my agent. I mean, that's definitely 100% one I'm, I, I can't stop thinking about because I can't wait to have an editor and dive in and make the adjustments to the novel that's just going to make it shine and and share it with the world. I, I now, this, this is fiction, right? This is not... Yes. Like any yes. of your other books. Okay. This would be my, my, I've written two books, two nonfiction, but this will be my first novel. Yeah. And now are you working with the same publishers that you've worked with for your past books or is something, is this something brand I, new? Well, my, my last book was published through William Morrow and that's an imprint of HarperCollins and William Morrow. Uh, we're, we're giving it, we're, we're giving it to young adult editors right now because we kind of see it being, I didn't write it to be a young adult novel. I just wrote it. And, but it is like a coming of power and a coming of age story. So my editor, or excuse me, my agent thought like, let's start with YA editors. So William Morrow doesn't do YA. Okay. So I couldn't give it to my last house. I mean, I did send it to Harper Teen, which is under Harper Collins. Right. Um, but I, I didn't work with anyone at that imprint. So it's not like. So you're, you know, you're, chart, you're, you're charting into new waters. Yes, and there's way more rejection in fiction than there is in nonfiction. Oh yeah. So that's a fun game as well, and you just you have to be prepared for lots of rejection. And one of my best friends, she used to work at Knopf. She was an editor there, and she's like, "Honey, 
you cannot take this personally, you know, when it comes to rejections and fiction, like think of it like dating, how rare it is to go on a date and want to go on a second date with someone and have that connection. She's like, that's what it's like for your novel to find the right editor. So, you know, you can have a good date, but that doesn't mean you want to see them again. And trust me, they're out there. Well, and it's the same way with teaching yoga. You know, you're not going to resonate with every yoga student that walks in the room where you're teaching or any of that. And so you've been teaching long enough to know that not, you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. So it might take a while to find the right fit, but I believe that you'll find that space. I believe that it'll I do too. I feel strongly about this book and I know it's all in the timing and She'll find the perfect editor who will, you know, we'll just, it'll be amazing. We'll, we'll make beloved magic when the time is right. Well, and it probably is a pretty slow process. And I would imagine it's probably slowed down even more with everything else that's going on. Although, you know, what have people got to do but sit around and read for Pete's sake? True. I would like to think that books are doing very well. I feel awful. Awful for new authors, though. For anyone who is publishing a book during this time, all their tours have been canceled and in-person yeah. events. And, yeah. and that's, that's really hard for authors. Really, really hard. So I've, and that's another thing I've been trying to you know, highlight and shout out authors and upcoming books and everything through my, my personal page and through the Inky Phoenix and hopes that, you know, just, oh, God. I mean, you, you pour your heart and soul and it takes years into making these stories yeah. and then... To have this happen is just heartbreaking. So I think if you've been thinking about buying a book, now is the time. Support your independent booksellers. Even if they're closed, you can probably call them and they do deliveries. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's well, they do a lot of curbside pickup around here. Even yes. my local yeah. um, natural market where I buy like a lot of my supplements and things, I just can either put it in through the internet or send them an email mm-hmm. and they'll call me and take my credit card information and leave it out and I can come and pick it up. The bookstore is, is the same way. And I love the fact that what you're doing with the Inky Phoenix, when you were starting to show that the books that were in the, the mix for the decision making yeah, and showing runners. those books as well. So mm-hmm. I'm really bad because I'm reading print books. I have stuff on my Kindle reader on my iPad and I have stuff on Audible. <laughs> so when I'm out walking, I can listen to Glennon Doyle or okay. I, you know, you don't have to be a book monogamist. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You do. And, <laughs> I, you know, and the other thing that I find so interesting is I've been listening to Brene Brown's podcast that she does every Monday. There's mm-hmm. something she could read the yellow pages to me and I would feel calm. <laughs> There's something about her That's voice, excellent. her delivery. I don't know what it is, but, and she just makes everything seem so normal, you know, like you're not weird because this is happening. Everybody else is doing the same thing. They're just not talking about it. So I love to listen to some of her stuff that I've listened to over just to hear her voice when I'm feeling anxiety or stressed out. It's like, I'm just going to listen to a little Brené for a while. I don't know. Bring it, bring it home. Brene, take the wheel, baby. <laughs> and, and I've been too busy in the past to do much time reading a paper book. And so I started doing it again. I was following, his name is Charles something. And he was in quarantine either in, I don't think it was the Philippines, Singapore maybe, for 40 days in quarantine. And he's a huge reader. And so he was talking about all of his books and 
you know, every day going through testing and keep talking about his books. And so listening to him talk about books and why he chooses them and why he's so picky about what it is that he reads. And it's so interesting because everybody has a different perspective about what's a good book and what isn't. Oh, totally. Yeah. The, the one that you had with the, the peaches on it, the, uh, the peaches on the cover. Yeah, that's Grady Hendrix. It's the, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Vampires. So I went up yeah. to look at it on, on Audible. I thought, maybe this would be a really great Audible. And there were some bad reviews up there. And I was like, you know, it's kind of how I look at um, movies is I don't need my world to be rocked or changed. I just want to be entertained or maybe learn a little something I didn't know when I before I started. You will definitely be entertained. And I would say the Grady's doing just fine because it's a New York Times bestseller already. That's what I figured. <laughs> um, and he's he's actually from Charleston, born and raised in the same neighborhood that we live. And oh, really? He's, just, he's a really interesting, quirky writer. And, you know, I, I loved the book. I, it's the, the best description is like it's Steel Magnolias meets Dr- Dracula. And it's just quirky. I had many laugh out loud moments when I was reading it. But then you have your classic kind of vampire horror moments. And it was great. I thought it was a great, easy well, read. I've read all the Suki Stackhouse. I love freaking vampires. Yeah. I mean, it, there's yeah. just something about a vampire that I love. Oh, me too. I'm, I'm not a big well, zombie you'll, person. You'll like my novel because my novel's got vampires in it too, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to send me a copy to read, I will happily read it and, and tell everyone they should buy it because I love vampires. So You will absolutely be getting a copy as soon as... Yay! <laughs> Uh, well, Catherine, thank you so much for coming back to meet with me and having such a great conversation. I know that uh, the first time I just hung in there for as long as I could because I knew your schedule was busy. When I reached out, I was like, sure, I have time. And I was like, yes. Uh, quarantine, baby. <laughs> I know I'm going to take advantage of that and talk to as many women as possible. So I just, you know, I'm, I'm sending you guys and your family all of the wellness and good thoughts because awesome. it's, uh, we got to take care of each other. Yes, we do. Thank you, Sherry. And that love for you and your family as well. Thank you. And uh, hopefully we can circle back and talk again when your novel is ready to fly out into the world. Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you.